All right, back. Episode three, season two of The Growth Vault. I am joined by Aaron Orndorff and Robert Rahil. And I'm Chase Moseni. We are here to give you some amazing, amazing growth nuggets about B2B SaaS and just for you guys to hang out with us. So today we're going to uh, jump into a little topic that Raba brought up. I think is super interesting. Um, and then our core is going to be about how you actually do kind of weekly structure and planning to drive impact mm. within your business. What's like what's actually the right way to do it, and then what's the way that people actually do it, and how you can synthesize the two things. But guys, excited to be here again. Like just seeing your faces just pumps me up. Pumps Man, me up. if the people that listen to this get a quarter of what I get out of it. I'm telling you, this is a winner. This is good. It's really like you came in hot, setting the bar high. You promised amazing content. I don't know if I want to go that far. I'll promise you if you get 25% of what we, yeah. Cause then I love the way you said, just, just hang out and talk. This is the kind of thing that like, it goes, it goes a long way, especially to really just pull back the curtain on what we say we should be doing versus what we're doing. Well, I want to hit that so hard. I don't want to step on, on, on anyone's steam. Go for it. What's our topical topic today? Yeah. Yes. No, I echo those sentiments. This, this pod is, uh, more of just a selfish pleasure for me to get to, uh, jam with two of the smartest in the industry. So I've been just really enamored with, it's a little like ancillary related, but I will bring it back a little bit. So there's, um, a new drug out of Denmark called Ozempic. And it's been essentially kind of like a Hollywood elite thing for a really long time in terms of, for people that don't know, ultimately it's a a weight loss drug, but there's some mechanisms in there that really quell like cravings, bad decisions, things of that nature. And so not only are people losing weight, but they're keeping it off. And what interests me is thinking of kind of like the knock-on effects, especially if it becomes widespread in the United States. And so, again, kind of extrapolating there, like what if people buy less Big Macs or they buy less fast food or if they buy less soda, et cetera, et cetera. And so it just kind of fascinates me to think of like just going back to the 90s, people were, I think, like 20 or 30 percent less fat in the U.S. than they are now, which is pretty incredible to think about, but also shows you the power of fast food, marketing, et cetera. And so one, I kind of wanted to see what your guys' take are. Do you think this is actually going to become widespread? What's happening? Because I think there's only around a million people using it right now. But like, if that starts to become pervasive in the U.S., do you think there's knock-on effects? And to bring it back to marketing, and A, this is not investment advice, but one of the interesting plays I was thinking about is not necessarily shorting like a McDonald's or a Coca-Cola or something like that, but finding kind of the biggest marketing agencies that have these massive books of business with these big companies. Because I think there might be a tertiary effect on that where if Coca-Cola's revenues get hit or Pepsi or McDonald's, KFC, what have you, like what does that mean for their marketing budgets? I'm going to wrap this up, my response, in at least two big ideas. And the first is, this is also not marketing advice, but never bet against vices. That is the... Interesting. I like that take. There is no limit outside of access and affordability to the human condition to want to escape. And if that's linked to, in America in particular, the... uh Fast food, empty calories, you know, we've got 
millennia upon millennia upon millennia of evolution telling us, betting against us, that this vice is good for your long-term survival. And it's engineered to the point of how fast does the salt dissolve and when it hits your tongue. I think about things like even, you know, tobacco in America, right? This is like, you're still, there's no shortage of opportunity in what's become one of the most vilified, rightfully so, I would say, as well as controlled substances. So one, first and foremost, never bet against vice. The second I would say is I loved the way that you just sort of broke down how it came into being, because what you hit was three really good points on it moved through celebrity access. That's my first encounter with this was it came by way of exclusivity and social proof. So simply as a marketing mechanism, I think that is you're set up for success from the jump. If that's the impetus as you move forward into a wider market is exclusivity and social proof. The second one being then that there's a promise of deliverance from something that's long dogged you and yes. long-term deliverance, but not at the expense of a short-term solution that takes less effort, right? It's that whole piece of it's so much easier to sell painkillers than it is to sell vitamins. And that's precisely what this is leaning into. The third then being it's never an either or when it comes to a solution to a vice, There is so much room in the market for both to exist, which is why I go all the way back to never bet against vice. There's a lot to be had with how do you provide a solution for it, but it's not going anywhere. Man, that's a pretty good uh, bear case for my thesis. I don't really have any pushback other than drugs can be a hell of a drug. And (laughs) the why vices and bad habits are so easy to adopt is because the feedback loop is so tight. Like you said, the sugar dissolves on the tongue. Like you have a drink and then you you feel the alcohol hit pretty quickly. Like it's not this, I have to have this really awesome, like if I could have one skill that I could only have for the rest of my life, it'd be delayed gratification. With that being said, this is as close to take a pill and get skinny as we've ever gotten with really, really minimal side effects so far. Like nothing, like you're not like, bleeding out of your butt kind of stuff. Well, you know, because you your kids out there, there. That, that was a thing that came through yeah. in the 90s of the aughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you, potato you, chips you, that made us yeah. bleed out of our butts because we still wanted to eat potato chips. No, but there would be these medicines that you end up true. having to stack and stack and stack and stack yeah, yeah, because yeah. this medicine yeah. causes this side effect, so I have to take this thing. So I think you're super sound in all the points you made, but my only thing is if somebody is struggling with weight loss and they take this and they see in the first week they lose five pounds or 10 pounds, like, and they don't have to do anything because they're literally just eating less. It's not like a thing where you have to, oh, I got to go work out. I'm going to commit to 30 days, et cetera, et cetera. Like people are eating less and drinking less like alcohol. So I'm with you though. I think you made a really good bear case, but that that's my only thing that I'll hang the hat on is because it's so instant. Like the, what we always talk about in business is that time to value. The time to value is so truncated and the on-ramp is so small that, and the other thing is going back to your social proof, like if Sally starts to get skinny, Jenny's asking, oh, Sally, what are you doing? And it's not like, oh, I'm taking fucking, I'm ripping lines every fucking day. I'm, oh, I'm just taking this medicine my doctor prescribed to me. Oh, really? What is it? And I feel like the acceptance of being overweight 
might start to get a little bit eradicated because it will be so easy to become less fat? I don't know. Chase, where do you land? Really good points, Aaron. Very good analysis. So both of you guys are right. What I would say is just the way we were talking about AI yesterday, which is there is this people are are excited about the novelty of it, but there is this obsession with wanting to actually still bake the cake a little bit. And so this is kind of the thing I think about with this is there's going to be this kind of lift of people who go right away and take, for instance, this Ozempic thing, which we're already seeing. The thing that it doesn't have yet, and maybe I'm wrong because I haven't looked at price, you know, pricing structure, is there's still barrier to entry in terms of it being a mass market product today because of pricing, I believe. Am I wrong on this, Rob? Is it, has it become? It's, is there no, it's pretty, no? uh, it, it wasn't necessarily price point as much as it was like the rollout in that sense, because most people, I mean, there's definitely going to be some price point stuff, but that's capitalism. And there's yeah. a huge, especially in the States, like a huge insurance market yeah. that will easily subsidize a lot of this. Yeah. And so I wouldn't say pricing, I wouldn't yeah. say a lot of people are as much as priced out as availability yeah. um, so much where the it wasn't massively available, but now they're starting to scale up productions, et cetera, et cetera. Like, the people that made it will start to be able to license it to other pharma manufacturers. To sk- so I wouldn't say avail- or availability more than pricing. My kind of my big thing actually on this is not whether you guys are right or wrong. I think you guys both made all the points. Mine is kind of like a again. I'm the old man screaming at the sky here. Like this makes me afraid for this kind of thing that we I talk about a lot. Is like I just feel like everyone's gotten very lazy about doing the things they need to. Oh, do. Oh, hundred percent. And this is this is my biggest fear out of this is like for the last 20 years or like let's just say since Richard Simmons, but it's been forever. There's been this kind of like, here's how you get like fit and in shape. And before it was like, eat less, eat better foods, exercise. Yes, these are all the right things to do. Now it's like, hey, pop a pill and in 30 days you'll be like this – and before it was like ephedrine, and that was horrible for you. Now that's what I'm saying. Like, yes, we've yes, now exactly. isolated it so you don't have to have any of the negative effects. It's like, well, I kind of want them to have negative effects so they actually do the right things and don't just think this is a get rich fast. Like it feels like a uh, what's it called a multi level marketing MLM kind of thing where it's like, yeah. dude, this is fucking something has that's to crack right here because this is not how things work. Nothing that is like it's too good to be true. It feels too good to be true. Now maybe yes. I'm wrong and the science is all there. But for time immemorial, this is not how things have worked in any facet of life. And every time it does, and we think it's good, let's just use this fucking Sam Bankman freed motherfucker, right? Oh, he's a genius. FTX, incredible. Crypto, crypto, crypto. Bro, I was like, I was so bearish on that motherfucker. I'm like, this guy is a fucking liar. This feels fake. This feels like every single guy who comes out at the front of a movement. There's some guy, we all make a deity. And eventually that person falls because they were lying the entire time. And this feels like that to me right now. I hope I'm wrong and it takes care of people and people are uh, like, they get their weight under control. We All those things you talked about at the jump, why it's important and it can be good. But I think it, they're, what Aaron said is dead on. There is 100% a place for this to exist. And it will exist and it will be successful. I'm just afraid of it. Here's the, the, the two lessons that I'm walking away with this. This is the light bulbs that went off in my head is... The thing that no one cares about really is the science behind it. And the reason I say that out loud is because I'm one of those science behind it kind of guys. 
I love creating content and marketing assets and explainer videos about how a thing works and what it does and why it's better, et cetera, et cetera. But the way into anyone's wallet is not through the head. It's through, do people I already know, like, and trust recommend this? Are they associated with it? Right? It's social proof, first and foremost. And then the second is what you said, Rob, about time to value. Brilliant. How do we accelerate the first good feeling associated with using whatever it is? And that doesn't have to be tied to actual results. It can simply be, and often is, a feeling. This is so true with customer service. Results can lag. Time to value does not mean results, people. Time to value means time to first good feeling. I'm heard, I'm listened to, I'm getting proactive advice. I'm putting this into use. It's making me faster and smarter. That's what I want to say is that those are the big marketing lessons I'm getting from this is that's how people actually make decisions. We're seeing it writ large here and it applies to every business. Yeah, no, I'm with you guys. I think the, I do agree with your sentiments, Chase, but I think what's really interesting here is this could become some semblance of a modality similar to like, I'm not, and again, there's no judgment for anybody or anything here. I'm just giving perspective. I'm not against antidepressants per se, but I do think if you become dependent on them, that gets into a really weird place, but people that use them as a crutch to get out of like a dark place and then siphon off. And so that's what gets me really interested is like, if this becomes this bunker buster for people that have these horrible habits, because everybody gets caught in loops in life where you, you're just subconsciously running these loops and they might not be serving you, but you don't have a way to break that loop because your environment is making that loop. Whereas if this becomes a bunker buster for a lot of people, like, dude, if you lose 30 or 50 pounds, that's literally a new life. Oh my gosh, I I can be active again. I can play with my kids again. I, and so that's where I'm talking about the knock-on effects of like, if you have this, and then again, going back to your social proof, Aaron, like, if Billy or Bobby starts losing a bunch of weight in your mm-hmm. peer group and he's getting all these accolades because look how healthy it is. Now his wife or his partner's back into him. Now all this stuff, like that becomes an insurmountable, like you're not going to ignore that. And then, oh, well, fucking he's eating clean. He's doing, no, he's, he's just doing, take it. The flashpoint was the Ozempic. And then all these things followed on. Yeah. And so that's what I'm talking about yeah, in the, yeah. the knock-on effects of how American society and particularly American industry structured. Like there's some huge business around fast food, alcohol, things of that nature. Yeah. I do agree with the vice thing. I think there's always going to be a vice thing. But if this becomes like a cycle breaker for a lot of people, I think it gets into like the juice probably is worth the squeeze. That's a very empathetic way to put it. I totally vibed with that. That was yeah, that was a great way to say it, man. I kind of I cancel everything I said. <laughs> <laughs> boom. Okay, on that, I won the argument. We can move yeah, on yeah, to the yeah, next yeah, the main yeah, topic. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Okay. So, main topic today is essentially how do you structure your week? What would your ideal week look like? What does an actual week look like? And how do we synthesize the two things? Like, how do we get Karl Marx happy here? Uh, you know what I mean? You have uh, been on a commie kick. What's going on here? Dude, I've been reading a lot of uh, like uh, old, what's it called? Cold War uh, biography yeah. stuff recently. So okay. it's been my top I'm, of mind. I'm, I'm in that. Yeah, it's top of mind. How's it supposed to work? How does it actually work? Yeah. You know, there's yeah, a yeah. delta. So yes, I just, in general, what I've been thinking about is 
essentially when you're in startup land or any business that's early stage, especially since that's what we're kind of focused on here. Yep. There is this continuous need to just keep moving and it's important to have motion, but not everything needs to be speedboat motion. Sometimes you want to be like just on a cruise liner and you can see the horizon and you're like, okay, we're going to go this way and then we'll go to 40 knots or whatever the, I don't know what the actual speeds are. And so kind of like, I'll just position what my ideal week would look like. I want to have one day of data and strategy. So I go in and out, like do all the analysis on data. I look back at what my strategy was, what I'm thinking it's going to be, what I think we should be thinking about for the week. And I can do this on a Friday. I can do this on a Monday, whatever, whatever one it was, we can have velocity. Then I want to have another half day of meetings with either my team or the leadership group where we where we align on all of these things. Yeah. So these don't have to be big ones. You want to do big ones on a monthly quarterly cadence, but like something where we say, hey guys, we're going to do these things. I need your help on these things because you have adjacent responsibilities that go along with this. Are we good? Can you div- like can you or can't you? Where does it rank stack with you? And then the yep. rest of the three and a half days or so is just fucking balls to the wall. And what I see generally is like, by the way, I do this, so I'm saying for me. I'll let a lot of meetings just kind of come up because I'm like, dude, if a sales meeting comes up, I'm taking the fucking sales meeting no matter what, right? If they can go on a Wednesday and it's this time and it's in here, I'm taking the damn meeting because I got to close the deal. But I feel sometimes I'm wrong where it's like, if I just had my calendar blocked off and it was Wednesday through Friday, you can take the sales calls, they would just book if they're actually in market. And if they're not, it's it wasn't a deal that's going to come anyway. And I just got to do the work to get them from like warm to hot. And that's my job through all the content and everything else that I do. Why I think that's a nice week is because of, again, the speed at which you can move at and the fact that you're taking time to think. What I think actually happens is you have your week and then everything is generally chaos. And you're like, it's all, you know, my, my grandpa always said, like, it's just atoms exploding across universes across time. And I think that's a lot of times what these weeks look like. And it's not bad because you're moving, you're, you're doing things and like, that is the nature of the businesses that we are in. I just wonder if there's a way to impose a little more structure to actually move faster. And I just haven't figured it out because I'm not good enough at it. So kicking it to the boys, you tell me what you guys think or if I'm just completely off base with this entire thing. Oh, you're giving me the stage? Yeah, I appreciate it. I think there's a few things here. One, unless you're the CEO I mean, sometimes you like as an org leader, like if you're a CMO or something like that, you do have a semblance of control of your schedule. But then there's also like leadership meetings, sales, things of that nature. So I'll start from my idealized version and work back to what like reality has been for me. And then I'm actually in a new place too, where I'm going to be spinning up at at a new company fairly soon. And so I'll have an ability, like I found trying to set standards and change at the beginning is much easier versus fighting inertia and letting things kind of already bake. So my idealized week is Mondays and Fridays. I usually try not to take any meetings. Normally a leadership meeting does happen on a Monday, but other than that, I try and not take any meetings. Tuesdays through Thursdays are like my big, big work days in terms of just heads down, meetings, et cetera, et cetera. And I try and what you were talking about, Chase, like Fridays, do the weekly wrap-up, post, like brag on either some employees or the team or whatever we accomplished that week. Monday is usually a really big setup week. And then if I have to get things in order for a leadership presentation or something like that, and then the middle of the week is just crazy. 
But I think one of the biggest challenges is one visibility of your output. So you really need to make sure that you have some semblance of deliverables or people know what you're doing. Because I think one of the challenges is, especially in marketing, sometimes you think everybody knows what's going on and they don't. Like, And so like you writing a weekly wrap up or something like that can be incredibly impactful. The other thing is almost at every org, like marketing's the cool kids. Marketing's like what the engineers look up to, what the salespeople are like, hey, what do we got coming next? So I think it is your duty to be able to brag about how cool the company is. Like in a weird way, I feel like the CMO or the head of marketing should be the best salesperson and the best salesperson should be the best closer. I kind of think of that in that way. And so being able to make sure that you have stuff to brag on. But anyways, I'm kind of rambling here. So making sure you have visibility of your output and then also being able to and this was something I was not good at, but like block out time on your calendar um, to get like actual quality sprints in. So being able to work like two hours or three hours in a row versus like, I don't know about you guys, but when I have meetings just scattered throughout my day, it's just like, it, it's impossible to get any sort of like output or throughput. Um, so I think batching your communications there. And then mm. um, lastly, I would say just um, the ability to really prioritize and focus is something that I'm really trying to work on that I I really struggle with. But I try and have like two to three things I want to accomplish that week at the highest level and really focus my output around that. Again, the challenge is you need to figure out how that lands with your leadership or your boss to ensure that they don't feel like if they're like a butts and seats kind of boss or something like that, they, they they understand that you're pushing things forward and trying to get business impact. Because the worst thing that can happen, and I see it a lot of times, is that you end up using a lot of your time to be busy versus mm. actually working and doing impact on the business. Mm. Yeah. Boy, the idea of having a day a week to do data and planning, I have never in my decade of professional work and marketing come close to that a day a month probably not a day or two a quarter maybe yeah that's pretty likely a day or two a quarter and here's the key to that is it only ever happened because i had a deliverable with a due date yes there was a meeting that i had to show up to with answers yes or a presentation i had to give and that for me is that's the That's the driving principle I know to rig my own heart and life is deliverables with due dates. Show me your actual Asana, Notion, Trello, whatever it is. You can pick one and then you're all in on it. Yes. Show me your workflow productivity management tool and I will show you what you're going to get done. If it's not there, it's not happening. And if the wrong things are there, the wrong things are going to happen. So it really doesn't matter a lot. I put a lot of effort into templatizing those processes so that when we Mm -hmm. pick a thing to do, we know exactly what steps it's going to take, how long it's going to take, and who needs to do what by when. So that we're very selective about what gets activated. It's like almost as though, in, in our case, Asana is a sacred space. And it's not real until it's Asana. And then once it is, it's on. The second piece is... I do think you 
prioritizing the sales, prioritizing the demos, prioritizing saying yes to existing customers. I always, that gets priority of everything. Always. I don't know if that's the right answer. I think it is. I'm pretty sure it is, at least at this point, until it reaches a breaking point where other things just really stop, because that's where all the good things come from. The good insights come from that. The good referrals come from that. The actual money comes from that. So I would say don't ever give yourself a hard time if you feel like, hey, I should bucket this harder or better, create fences or boundaries. No, I have terrible boundaries with demos, sales, the emails I need to return, anything that's bringing money in or keeping money from going out. Yes, I'm absolutely for that. And then the third is, I loved what Robbie, you just said about the prioritization. Because probably one of the best books I ever read was the one on simplicity, McGowan. Yep. Essentialism. That was the name of the book. Yeah, In fact, oh, I love that was, book, man. I love that book. It's probably one of those books where it just hit me at the right time. And it was the first time I was getting exposed to what is the most important thing I could be doing right now? Dude, I printed it out. I had it on my desktop. I had it on my wall. It was like, I have to surround myself with that question of constantly coming back to what is the most important thing I could be doing right now. When all else fails, that has to be in my environment and that has to be very vocally communicated with my team. Perfect example is just today where we're going through, what are we launching for the final push into Black Friday, Cyber Monday? sort of the yeah. last gasp of that. And I literally said out loud, is there anything more important than the sequences we need to launch in support of the landing page and the promotion via social we need to launch? Is there anything? And so somebody would say this, that, nope, it's not, down, so kill it, move it. And when I say move it, I mean literally go move the due date because that's how we, it's always back to that minutia of like the big picture, what's most important into, into the minutia there. But I also want to, I want to highlight the fact that The whole idea of data and planning. Yeah. The reality for me was I probably just had my first two good days of data and planning at Recart, and I've been there a year. Because it took that long, it really did. It took that long to get clean, meaningful data and a track record of success that I could then go through enough closed one deals, money that came in and say, where did they come from? We finally have a critical mass. Now, the wonderful thing about that is it highlighted what we kind of were betting on and thinking we're working after some initial mistakes, but it also did reveal, oh my goodness, guess what? The Shopify app store is actually a good source of qualified deals that have closed. Who knew? So one, it reinforced the things that we were doing, but it also did bust some myths that were sort of hanging around the halls of Recart, as well as solidifying, all right, then that's where we need to go invest. So there is a really big upside to that, but give yourself the freedom to, if you don't have enough, you simply don't have enough and you've still got to make those bets and come back to what's the most important thing I can be doing. And then I've got to align whatever freaking tool it is with those initiatives. Otherwise it ain't happening. So it's really interesting. This uh, this quote from uh, Game of Thrones came up when you were talking about this, and it, it made me think like the opposite. And this, this character gets killed. So uh, sorry, spoiler alert. But like <laughs> Littlefinger says, fight every battle everywhere, always in your mind. And I remember w- like feeling a very a, a, a kindred kind of connection to this guy, where it's like I'm gonna do like poor Robin knows like I, I'm gonna do everything everywhere all the time and be like at a hundred. It's just not possible. And so the, the idea that you guys are bringing up, which is a great pushback and such a great reminder is like prioritize. And if it doesn't get measured, i.e. the date, it doesn't get done. Right. And like, like having that as, as like your, 
essentialism guiding principle of like, you must kind of just ladder back into whatever that structure is, whether like you're in Asana, Notion, Trello, Monday, Akiflow, whatever that place is for you, it has to be a sacred place. And it's kind of like my sacred place generally is like, I go to data dashboards every morning. So like, I want to go look at that and ground myself in that. It just makes me feel like, okay, I know what I need to go lever up or lever down. But almost the the macro is like synthesize that with this kind of prioritization and essentialism thing, right? Like what is my macro goal? What is what I'm seeing happening? What are the trends here? How does this line up with this, this board of things that I have to do? Do I need to shift the dates and move things up? I, by the way, I, I do this on a daily basis, but I haven't thought about codifying it in this way that we're discussing right now. So yeah, you guys are like blowing my mind. Dude, here's the thing. I, this is what just lit me up about what you said. Because I re- So I said this thing about like, once a quarter, maybe. And honestly, it's the first year I've had two worthwhile days of looking at data and coming up with a plan. And I say that with a giant smile on my face. I literally went to my CEO when I finally delivered this and he was like, oh, this is a plan. I'm like, I know, I wrote a plan. (laughs) (laughs) After a year, I was so proud of myself. Okay, here's the other thing though. What you just said about that sacred space you go to for the data and the dashboards, the flip side of that is, do I am obsessive about HubSpot on mobile, GA on mobile, SEM Rush on mobile. Like I am, I say on mobile in particular because it's like every spare minute I have from like the toilet to going for a walk or like whatever, I know where to go and I have these rigged so that there is this intimacy with the dashboards that I don't think anybody can match. And that's like the opposite extreme of like two days worth of good data. Yeah, where I sat down and looked at it. But listen, that comes on the back of go get obsessive. You should be the most obsessive person about what you should feel. feel. I remember um, Sean McGinnis. I think that's his last name. He was the um, president of Kuru Footwear. He came and presented one time to CDC and he's like, nah, I don't want any automation. I want you taking manual numbers from all of these data sources and putting them into a spreadsheet because that is the only way you will feel it in your bones. And I could have kissed him. Because that's that, yeah, that's the opposite extreme of like, what that does is it enables you to find those right directions in an, in an innate instinctual sort of, sort of way that you just won't have unless you're that level of obsessed. Dude, I literally go and break every dashboard down, like on a monthly basis where I, I do an, like I do an export of the data and I start playing around with it. Like just... To kind of have like a, okay, what's actually going on here? And I remember, it's probably like one of my prouder moments. I was with a data scientist when I worked at House, and I took everything out of this dashboard that she had built in Looker. And I proved to her that she had built the query wrong and that the data that I was creating was more accurate than she was creating. And she's like, you're right. How did you figure this out? And I'm like, well, I, I didn't sleep. So that that's how I figured it out. You wrote the SQL query in three minutes. That's the difference. But who cares? I was right. Yes. But the idea of like intimacy <laughs> with your intimacy yes. with the information. And I think it's, um, I was reading this book. I'm reading this book by, by Ed Milet, which is like a self-help book, but I don't care. And he talked about a concept that I, I really vibed with, which is what is your internal temperature? And then what is the temperature it actually takes to, on the thermostat to actually be successful at something? And like, if it's a hundred, and you're operating in a 75, that delta will guarantee failure. I guarantee. If you go and you say like, okay, this intimacy you're talking about, I think it's like a perfect way to frame it. The intimacy with that data 
and those those dashboards or whatever you're looking at, the intimacy with your Trello. Like for instance, I will say this: I'm forcing myself to become more intimate with those those da- uh, the uh, the time management softwares because I'll kind of like do it and then I'll come back to it and then I'll do it and I'll come back to it. Not like oh, I live there, but like Stripe, ProfitWell, Chargebee. Like I live in there in the cohort analysis all fucking day, like mm-hmm. all fucking day i sit there and look at them and i'm like okay how does this ladder up what are we going to do okay i'm going to pull this lever it's going to move this i'm going to go talk to 10 customers from this cohort and have these conversations because that's what matters to me i think you have to choose like like you guys are talking about to hit this thing which is kind of the core of the, the crux of this topic i brought up like how do you actually control a week and make it impactful but also not so chaotic that you don't feel like you're actually moving in the right direction yes it is to ground it in i need to have deliverables and they need to feel like data points. Like yep. it just needs to feel like a data point, right? That you're bar. working towards. And that's the thing. I have never until this conversation actually synthesized those two things. So you just made heat map a lot of money. Good job, both of you. Dude. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Deadlines, deliverables that feel yeah. like data points. That's like, you just encapsulated my love language as a marketer. Show title. You yeah. nailed it. That's the yeah. way to do it. It's one of those, if you know, you know, you just like, you probably got goosebumps. Yeah. Somebody listening to this right now just got goosebumps because I did. That's the jam. Yeah, I did too. No, that, yeah. that was a bar. And I, I would just add my two cents in there. I think there's there's a few things going on. One, if you don't have all this set up. So again, I'm moving into a new role next month and there's a lot of um, infrastructural lift that needs to happen. Don't become the frustrated genius. Don't become the person that says, oh, I can't do it because things aren't perfect. Yes, I know that. Like Everybody's been through it. Put things in place to get it done. This is also a really, really great way to use consultants Yeah, because consultants can come in and call the baby ugly and there's no political capital spent. People don't feel judged by having that internal talk. The other thing that Aaron said that I think is really, really important is none of these systems in terms of time management communications or anything like that work unless they become the only system. And so if you're living across 17 different things, like none of this stuff works and you don't get any benefits from it. So at Triple Whale, or at least in the marketing org, if it wasn't in Notion for our task management or it wasn't on a calendar, it didn't exist. And so you as a leader should have that ability to push that down on your org, maybe not company-wide where engineers might be in something else and there might need to be some bridging from like product to sales to marketing kind of thing. But I think that is the biggest thing is definitely agree and commit and get everybody in there. The other thing that a lot of people take for granted that was really helpful is if you are the org leader and you have a lot of acumen in like whether it's Notion, Asana or whatever, like do an onboarding with your team or one-on-ones to get people. Because a lot of times if you can show them that the system is not only easier, but it is more impactful and helpful to getting them to their goals, they'll use it. A lot of times when people don't adopt systems is because they suck. Where it's like, dude, I have to do 17 steps. I'm just going to put it in my notes app or something like that. Like I'm getting no value from it. So that would just be my only two kind of things to color in on that is like if you agree and commit on a system and then have an etiquette, have a team onboarding, get some questions and then do that. The other thing is I love the data point stuff. And that's actually, you know what, I'm going to start that with my weeks now where basically review all the projects for that week. 
Here's everybody's priorities. Here's what they expect to get done. If you do need to move due dates, do that. And then have that check-in on Friday. Mm. Um, I think that's going to be my new ideal week where just being able to give people that visibility, but you also give them autonomy, but also being able to check in and understand like, here's due dates. Can we push this? Can we not push this? Okay, et cetera, et cetera. And then the last thing I'll say that I suck at that I need to get way better at is I schedule myself right now like a dentist and it's not great. Like, And so what I need to do better at is scheduling blocks in to either not necessarily have a deliverable, but have like a goal for that block of time, but give myself the ability to just think where I think sometimes like you need to be able to go into strategy mode, think mode, but you also need to be able to go into soldier mode and ship mode. But if you live in both of those exclusively, you're really not going to make impact. You need to be able to bridge the gap from idea strategy to implementation execution. Um, So that's something else that just after chatting with you in AO is something I'm going to start building into my week where these are, these are just hours where I'm either learning, reading, doing things of that nature, because you you really want to be sharpening the saw. And I found myself getting to a place where I'm operating at 60, 70% when I could have just taken a, you know, take a two hour break and go read or go for a walk or go do these things that can give me that kind of juice back. But um, very well said. I love the deliverables should look like data points. I think that because that's also stemming off one of the theses I have where I don't think people should try and be right or wrong. That can get into what we talked about in previous podcasts of resulting where you really want to get into systemic success. So how are you thinking of your bets? How are those bets landing? Why did, if they did miss, why did they miss? If they did win, can you go, you know, harder on this? Is there more legs into that thing? And having that scientific method versus always trying to be right. Because when you're always trying to be right, one, nobody's ever going to always be right. And then two, you might have a shrinking of your risk profile that might not be helpful where it's like, oh, I don't want to be wrong, so I'm not going to try it, um, which might block you out from things that could be really meaningful. So I think that's... We want asymmetric, right? I think you want to blend, right? Like yeah. you, you want to have kind of a ladder of bets, almost like yeah. an investment strategy where it's yeah. like, hey, I have some bonds over here. I have some treasuries over here. I have some high risk, but asymmetric bets over here. I have some blue chip stocks over here. And you're really building out an investment portfolio of content, community, education. And then the moonshot is really that super high risk asymmetric yeah. return with a capped downside. Yeah, dude. The thing you just said, I think it was like, all of this is incredible. We've talked about a lot of like the bet stuff. I think we can go like, I think it's almost something to revisit every quarter. Like, how are you thinking about it now? Because it's such an interesting and important topic. That's a a throwback too. I think we did did, the third or fourth episode all about how to play your bets. Let's listen to how to place your bets. Let's listen to episode of the first season. Season two is going to go to the moon. But of course, um, what you just talked about, though, of like the delineation between being the, the dreamer or the soldier or like being the philosopher yep. and the soldier, like you have to yeah. be, you have general to be, soldier. do any of this, like you have to be a general and they have to think, but you have to be a soldier. The problem is like we go full Pareto principle of like 80, 20 yeah. and you do need to be in action mode, 
But a lot of times, if you're that general, you got to, you, hopefully you can flip flop. It's not never going to be 80 20 where you can be sitting right. there doing strategy, thinking like that. But if you can get to a, a where you're not sitting at 90 10 soldier, when you're yeah. supposed to be the one thinking and helping people unlock, because the idea is like the job of an executive is to just make everyone's life easier and point them in the direction that is right for the business, right? Yeah. Like if you're sitting there actioning every little thing, you're just, you're really highly paid IC. It's not actually that valuable. Like you're supposed to. So well put. Like you're supposed to actually unlock because it's the thing that we, I always talk about, like what's the multiple in terms of money that is coming from your salary. And like, if you can measure that directly, but if you're just sitting there like, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm if you're setting, like if you're setting up the pipe and the infrastructure for someone to come in and do it, that's a different story, right? Yes. But if it's like a continuous, we're going to live here forever. Well, dude, you're not, you're First of all, you're going to burn out. Second, yes. and you're going to start like feeling resentful. The second thing is like, it's kind of a waste of money. You're right? 100% like is. like 100% you could pay is. three people, four people to do my job, and they would get more volume out if you're really looking for volume. Quality is a different conversation, and impact is a different conversation. But if you're just looking for pure, like, pure volume, People are the answer, not one person. It's like a you just it's like throwing it's like an army. Throw four people out of that four people at the line versus one, the four is gonna usually win, but it's based yeah. on your strategy and what your actual yeah. outcome and goal is looking like. So anyway, I thought it was such a good delineation and I got so much out of this topic, man. Like such So a, did I. I'm actually yeah. gonna have to re-listen to this episode. Yeah. It was really good. And and just anecdotally, I think what one of the challenges if you are at one of these early stage companies is that you are straddling kind of a leadership role as well as an IC role. And it just doesn't work, but it's just a function of the stage of the company. And so that was one of the hardest things that I had to do was transition out of an IC role into an executive slash leadership role. And so to your point, this doesn't stay like this forever. Like you really, unless you're, you know, running something boutique or something like that, you ideally can't be an IC and an executive. It just, it just doesn't work because to your point, the whole value add for executives is the synthesis of information and being able to steer the ship on a bearing that is long-term. So I would like make the analogy where you want leadership to control climate and IC is more like weather, where there's just going to be way more volatility at the IC level, but you really need to make sure that your leadership team has that. And so if you are super stressed out, I think one of the, the, the things that helped me was one, I don't think hiring, hiring into the future is a really good move. Maybe it's just because we've been burnt or at triple, we got burnt by it a few times. Yeah. Um, I like to hire up when I feel pain. Because then you yeah. can easily, like, you know what this person can take on. It can be this yeah. really instant impact kind of thing. And then yeah. they can, you can start to shovel off some of your stuff. And I think that's the, the challenge there is, there's challenges at all levels, right? But like, once you get to that place and you start to give up your IC stuff to other people, a lot of times, especially if you're a killer, it's not going to be as good as what you were doing. But like 80% to like not have to do the newsletter that takes 10 or 15 hours that week and not have like a huge fall off, it unlocks you to do other stuff. And so you get to a place of like macro level, you're being more impactful on the business, but micro level, some of those deliverables might not be to your liking, but that's just 
the nature of the beast with delegation. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that I have and I had to overcome where it's like, you have to be okay with people not being as good as you. Ideally, you can get somebody better than you, but sometimes there's just, um, whether it's economics, you're priced out to actually get the talent, et cetera, et cetera. But really at the end of the day, being in a leader and an executive is really all about you essentially synthesizing all the information making decisions and to your point, empowering people to be more productive and impactful in the business. And again, that can be really hard at the beginning because you're essentially like both people, right? You're like, oh, here's the strategy, General Raba. Thank you. And then Soldier Raba has to be like, okay, cool. I'm going to go implement the strategy. And that really incentivizes a very small need for systems because you don't need to really communicate But what'll happen is as you scale up your team, you realize like, holy crap, like I'm in the family model now. I'm not in the single seat and I have to figure out how to, how to communicate this stuff. So I'm not saying like you need systems day one. I'm just saying the sooner you can get the systems, not only is it easier to make a more formulaic approach to your success, not only is it better because you can give more visibility to leadership on what people are working on. But really the big unlock is you can start to get more output from your vertical because you have a way more efficient way to prioritize, to roadmap, to link up sales, marketing, and products. So um, anyways, too long, didn't read, get a system, commit to it, skill people up on that system, do it early, do it often. And then from that, you start to be able to, as Chase so eloquently put, like we need to get that on t-shirt. From that, then you can take your little deliverables that are data points and weave that into a weekly narrative to then brag in your department. Those would be the big three takeaways that I would I would really and personally going to implement as well. Dude, you uh, you uh, so well said. Uh, all of that's like a perfect bow on this entire section. When you were talking about General Raba and Foot Soldier Rob, I was just thinking about the talented Mr. Ripley when he was at the end, he's yes. writing letters to himself. I was like, dude, 100%. how many people who have been the first marketing hire at a place feel just like Ripley? They're just having conversations it, with themselves. Oh, um, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's, yeah, what was I, that movie? Seven Days and Seven Nights, the Harrison yeah, Ford yeah, one, when yeah, he's like the ticket yeah, guy, yeah, the baggage handler, yeah, the stewardess, yeah. and then the pilot, and like yeah, you're just, yeah. just switching the old, things. The old, yeah, and Hayesh back in the day. I remember yes. That. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. TV Harrison Ford, dude. I'm, uh, sign me up. Even the one, one hundred percent. Yeah, one hundred percent. Okay, so we're running a little long, but yep, let's wrap it. We'll do. Yeah, we'll do. Uh, we'll do quick product and quick uh, nugget. We don't. I don't. Well, maybe we might debate nugget. But uh, what's your what's your product? What have you been thinking about? Yeah, did I already do assembly marketing? I don't think I did. Did I? No, did no, I do it yet? No, no. Okay, amazing. Yeah, I met this really super wicked smart gal through a, a mutual acquaintance. Shout out Shrey. Um, and she's building something called assembly.marketing. It's actually pretty interesting. So it's essentially like a content calendar, but has some really cool things built into it in, in the sense of like, you can add like your CEOs or like if you have people, you can add their accounts to this. So that way you can kind of post things from that. You can run campaigns. It's all there. But what I really liked about it was there was this piece of AI and you could take like, for example, if you wrote like a, a really long essay on some semblance of like CRO best practices or something like that, right? And you wanted to get a lot of legs out of that essay. You can say, hey, 
I have this really big essay and I want to post about it three times this month. Give me three social posts from this piece of content. And then you can grab these things. And so it gives you this really nice way to take these really big like hub style pieces of content and spoke them out in a pretty meaningful way and then sprinkle them across your uh, marketing ecosystem through distribution, um, scheduling, things of that nature. There's a little semblance of product analytics, but super far from something like a Sprout or something where if you have the money, it's really, that's still where it's at. But this is more so bringing everybody all into one place. Here's all your social campaigns, connect everything, distribute everything. And then if you need to piece it up even more, so uh, assembly.marketing, uh, I'm actually going to, uh, she's going to let me into the beta. Yeah, she's going to let me into the beta. Oh, I'll, 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 I'll toss it your way. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll let her know that you want to come on board too. So yeah. this is something that I'm really excited to build in because I think right now in the new role I'm moving to will probably keep social outsourced for a little while. And so yeah. this is a nice tool that I can have where I'll still probably build everything out in Notion, but then this yeah. can kind of be the the secondary, yeah. almost the the distribution of said, like a, a yeah. higher resolution, if you will, where yeah. there's right. a nice content roadmap and notion, yeah. but this is the, yeah. what actually gets pushed out. So anyways, check it out, assembly.marketing. Yeah. They're waitlisted right now, but the demo was really, really impressive. That's great. Uh, I dig that. I went on their website while we were talking. I thought it's pretty, pretty dope. So yeah, get, get, get a brother into the beta. Yeah. Mine was like kind of a callback. I, I said it on there, but I want to put a finer point on it. Um, what doesn't get measured doesn't get done every time. So like, again, I'm going to ground this in. I'm not a data guy. Uh, I, I was a filmmaker to start. I'm an artist kind of by training and what I thought, but like the thing that makes me comfortable is I have to go the exact opposite way to find my way in. Why do you do that? And the reason is if I go the way that I go, I'm going to go off and I'm not going to be as impactful. I'm thinking about like, oh, I want to make this a cool, fun thing. Why do screenplays, for instance, have structure? Is a mathematics to actually writing something. And you yep. hit those things in that way. Same thing goes for the measurements. So like we were talking about the week, you guys made me think of like, okay, it's just a dashboard for me to look at. And I'm looking at this number and it needs to go above here to get there. Well, what kind of intensity do I need to put behind it to get there? Same thing. And so I just want to put a finer point on it for people again, kind of call back to our main topic. If you don't measure something, whatever it is, weight, Ozempic, you want to get to another weight. You've been doing all the other things. You can't do it or it's not been working. Okay. I'm going to go get a pill. And if it starts hitting the thing, then go with God. Like you're, you're hitting those targets. You win your finances, right? You say, okay, have a budget. That's just measuring. How do you actually keep honest with it? You measure it. All of the things you look at that you've either been successful at, there's a certain amount of constraints and intensity that you put on it that is about measurement. And it's really because, and again, I don't have the science on this. I'm just anecdotally saying human beings want to be boxed in as much as they say they don't so that they can understand the narrative that they need to craft to actually move forward with intensity in life. You know what I mean? And I think that is one of the going back to the leadership roles and super, super eloquent diatribe. Um, the There is so much wisdom, and I'm learning this more and more, constraints generate creativity. And so there's a great, great John Mayer quote that I always think about when I say, when I hear this, there's a, we'll link it, uh, there's a great video, we'll link it in the show notes. But uh, he was asked, uh, like on some some show, like, 
how are you so prolific in your songwriting? Like songwriting is one of the hardest things to do and you're just so incredible for it. You don't have writer's block or anything like that. Like give me more behind that. And he had such a beautiful response where he said, when I try and write a song to fill the universe, I can't do it. Yeah. But when I try and write a song to fill a glass, I'll write it, come back the next day and realize that glass has the universe in it. And so yes. I think that's just a beautiful encapsulation of yeah. put constraints on your thinking, put constraints on your goals, put constraints yeah. on whatever you're trying to get towards, because that will generate the creativity needed to do it, because yeah. there's nothing worse than ambiguity in a vacuum. And the other thing is there's money in specificity. And oh. so being able to understand like what the ICP is, maybe you even nail down like, oh, this is our ICP. This is our segment or a uh, vertical that we really work with. Like maybe it's D to C stores doing over X amount of revenue that have Y amount of spend that are in the supplements vertical. And like that alone is way better than, oh, I want to go after big DTC stores or something like that. 100%. I love all of this. And this has been like such an incredible chat. It's I been a good we one. Go on, we could go on forever. You want to take us home? And we have little, we have a few things, right? And then um, we're. Yeah, what do we got? We got YouTube's is coming. We don't, the Newsy's up. Newsy's not up yet. Uh, Newsy signup is up, so we'll put it in the show notes. Um, we have Perfect. the first one triggered. We're just uh, we're just waiting to uh, to ship the old the old bad to boy. ship the old Newsy. So yeah. we have the Newsy. Get on the uh, podcast reviews. Get on the podcast subscriptions. I think that's pretty much it, yeah. man. It's uh, been an incredible show. I'm really excited to get these out. Last week's was also a barn burner. The yeah. The triad of awesomeness, the three musketeers of uh, marketing have yeah. coalesced into exactly. a very, very fun show. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Just uh, show us some love, show us some hate, whatever it is. Just let us know how yeah. we can help you do more awesomeness. And I think there might be a couple guests this episode. We have some feelers going out. And so we'll probably yeah. do a guest every three or four weeks yeah. um, just to kind of put them on the hot seat and things of that nature. But yeah, go check out. Uh, heatmap.com. I am on Mentor Pass and I told Kenny I was supposed to do better there. So I'll have to figure out, but I'm on Mentor Pass. Go possibly get a meeting with me. I've been yeah. pretty get flaky it with, with it, candidly. AO, he's got, he's incredible. Um, AO, sensational. Um, You're on there as well. Yeah, I'm on there. Less, less, less sensational. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm the third president back on Rushmore. That's uh, it. Hey, yeah. but you're on the mountain at least, you know? Oh, bro, I'm on the mountain. You're on the mountain. On the mountain. Let's go. 100%. Let's go. They elected me, right? Yes. Got yeah. Oh, that was, was the crazy. one thing we did yeah. forget. Um, we're going to start building them in. The, uh, we just had a short show today, but we'll start going through every couple shows a GTM motion that we yes. either like or think there's some improvements or opportunities yeah. or um, just something new, fun, interesting, and novel. So we'll definitely keep you guys updated on that. And then, yeah, I think that's pretty yeah. much it. Yeah. Killer, killer show. Appreciate you. Love you, bro. Uh, we'll see everybody next week. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye.